This is episode 286 of the Wrestling Brethren podcast. I'm your host, Josh Wiener, along with Seth Zillman and Jared Aubrey. And on this episode, we will be discussing WWE doing one of the things they do best, bait and switch. And they will be reviewing WrestleMania Backlash and how we did on our predictions. Hey, yo, Jay Will, get us started. What up? This is Josiah Williams, and you're listening to the Wrestling Brethren podcast. Where wrestling and pop culture collide. Yeah. Welcome into the show. We are here to talk about the fallout of WrestleMania backlash. But before we can get to that and what I'm told are a rant or two from Seth, I have a rant or two, two to be exact, of my own. And they're not even before we get to the PLE known as WrestleMania backlash. But before we can get to all of that, Seth, Jarrett. How the hell are you? Well, I'm probably sounding a little different here because I'm coming at you from the mobile underground bunker. Don't uh, ask me how an underground bunker is mobile, but it's been a uh, hot couple days. And I, I will have a couple rants about WWE, but they'll be during the review parts uh, of the show. I think we might have a similar rant when it comes to uh, certain whereabouts of a uh, world champion, but we'll worry about that when when we get to it. Well, I don't know whether I should speak tonight or just sit back and listen to you guys rant. Apparently, you both have epic rants planned. Um, so I just sit back here, crack open a nice cold one, and enjoy the show. That sounds like a plan. Well, let's get to the first of my two rants. And that is the Lacey Evans debacle. And I call it a debacle because the definition of debacle is a sudden and ignominious failure, also known as a fiasco. And why is it a debacle, a failure, a fiasco? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because right after WrestleMania, we started getting vignettes about the story of Lacey Evans. And they were rebuilding her and reintroducing her as a baby face. And I was fine with that. Which they should have been doing from the start, actually. But Exactly. <laughs> and this was all based on true events. So I'm going to walk us through the five chapters, a.k.a. five weeks of television build for this. And then you're going to find out where it all went to hell. And you're probably going to be left scratching your head. So the first chapter was the April 8th edition of SmackDown, also known as the SmackDown after WrestleMania. And I'm going to read these that were written up in a show recap that I got from WrestlingHeadlines.com. So April 8th, SmackDown, Chapter 1. We go to a pre-recorded promo from Lacey Evans, who has been away since announcing her second pregnancy of February of 2021. 
Evans talks about coming from a small town in Georgia. Her father worked construction, and her mom was a young mother of five kids. Her life was beginning... Her life... Pardon me. Her life beginning was rough because her father had mental health issues and addiction issues with drugs and alcohol. Her mom was caught in the middle of it, trying to be the best mom she could be. Then the physical, emotional, and mental abuse got to be too much. And before she could start elementary school, Evans was taken away from everything she knew. She says her mother loaded up their belongings in black trash bags, threw them in a car, and picked the kids all up from school and left without their dad even knowing. Evans goes on and says that they drove from state to state, staying in women's shelters and at campgrounds for the rest of her life. She says moving around as much as she had to do made her learn that she could either adapt and overcome, accept the way things were, and learn to roll with it, or completely give up. And she refuses to give up. Evans says she may not have the same straight shot to stardom that others in WWE have been blessed with, but that's okay because it makes her different than all the rest. She says what she's had to go through has made her into the woman she is today. Motivated, ready for anything, confident, mother, wife, sister, daughter, U.S. Marine, and a WWE superstar. Evan says this doesn't make her better than any other WWE superstar in the women's locker room, but they damn sure ain't better than her. So that's chapter one. Simple, babyface, 101, even though it's all true, which is fine, and we're off to the races. Chapter two, aka week two, April 15th, SmackDown. Lacey talks about how her father eventually found them all after her mother ran with them. The anger and sadness grew in their home. She talks about the manual labor she did as a kid and the abuse her father put them through. Evans gets emotional as she recalls her father's abuse, mental health issues, and addiction. He soon found himself a wanted man due to an assault charge and they were on the run again, going from campground to campground, state to state. Child Protective Services were involved from the start, almost as much as law enforcement, but neither saved her from her family. She learned to rely on herself because no one else would save her. She learned to keep her head up no matter what life threw at her, and she's never been handed a single thing. She goes on about keeping your head up and working hard when all else fails. She says unlike other female superstars, she's comfortable at rock bottom and they can't do anything to phase her. What she's gone through in life has made her a motivated, ready-for-anything, confident mother, wife, sister, daughter, U.S. Marine, and a WWE superstar. And again, she ends it with what is these vignette catchphrases of Evan says that doesn't make her better than these other women, but they sure aren't better than her. Now, after this vignette, they cut to Natalia, who is a heel, and Shayna Baszler, also a heel who scoff at the video and roll their eyes, thus solidifying that Lacey is a babyface. Chapter 3, a.k.a. Week 3, April 22nd, SmackDown. Lacey Evans is backstage for another pre-recorded promo. She says growing up, if they weren't living in tents, it was trailers with holes in the floor or houses with mold. She talks more about her dad's issues and how she grew up without her mom for the most important years of her life. She didn't have mommy to lean on, so she was left crying into a pile of dirty clothes. She does her own makeup now and had to teach herself what beauty was. 
She goes on about competing in amateur wrestling when she was younger, and without the support at home, it was up to her to succeed. She recalls walking home two miles in the rain from work, school, and wrestling, only to find her high father passed out on the couch with a cigarette in his mouth. Evans learned how unbreakable she was and how sorry she felt for people who haven't been put in dangerous situations to find themselves. Evans repeats the line from the two previous weeks about what she's been through and ends the same way. I won't repeat the same catchphrases, but you get the gist. Chapter 4, April 29th, Week 4, Smackdown. Evans recalls getting kicked out of her home at age 17, but being but still being the first in her family to graduate high school. Then she became a U.S. Marine. She graduated military police school at the top of her class and had other achievements. She was the only graduate who, didn't ha who did not have her parents cheering her on on graduation day. Evans gets emotional when, when recalling how her father was never there. She talks about how he never came to the most important things in her life, and it got to a point where you find a different driving point that fills you with anger. Evans wanted to show her family that addiction was not her only solution. Evans says, like, unlike the others in the locker room, she wasn't blessed with a lifetime of perks and pats on the back, but she doesn't need it or want it and never had it. She made it out of the trailer park and is coming for every one of them. Evans repeats the same lines she's used, yada, yada, yada. Now, week five, chapter five, May 6th, the go-home edition to SmackDown before the premium live event. Evans talks about how her father lost his battle with mental health and addiction, overdosing just two months before her WWE tryout. She recalls how she lost other, sorry, she recalls how she lost another family member to suicide as her WWE journey just got going, and then the suicide of another family member shortly before her first NXT match. She didn't know how much more she could take, but she decided to do what was best for her, her family, and her mental health. Instead of feeling excited about her first match, she was completely broken. She wiped her face and had her first WWE match in front of her daughter. She went to the hospital after the match and faced the inevitable. Evans gets emotional as she goes on about how it's now her time, her time to show her daughters what you can be capable of, and how it's now time to break the cycle. She wonders what the WWE superstars can do to her that hasn't been done already. Evans then closes with the same lines about being a WWE superstar and that it doesn't make her any better than them, but they're certainly no better than her. Then she ends it with calling herself the soon-to-be SmackDown Women's Champion. Keep that in mind. Then, after this final vignette, the ring announcer, live on SmackDown, introduces Lacey to the live crowd to a big-time babyface pop. But there are two issues here. First, the ring announcer says that Evans had previously, or I'm sorry, earlier asked that you, the audience, give her a proper reaction that she deserves. Ruh-roh. And second, she came out... She slapped a couple of hands at quote-unquote ringside. It's really just the first row at the top of the ramp. She waved, and then they cut to another segment. 
So that was eerily reminiscent of the sassy Southern Belle gimmick where she would walk down the ramp, wave, turn around, and leave for weeks on end. Rut row number two. Then, to top it all off, if that wasn't bad enough, the following Monday, that's right, Monday, the Raw after the Premium Live event, all of a sudden Raw throws it to a recap of all the vignettes in short form, which at the time I thought was odd. But now it's being reported that she's been quietly moved to Raw as a fucking heel. What? You just wasted five weeks of all of our lives building her up as this baby face. And she closed out the last vignette saying she was going to be the next SmackDown Women's Champion. Now she's on Raw and she's a fucking heel? Are you kidding me? Now you just lost my interest completely. She falls in to the Baron Corbin category. Fast forward. I don't care. Thanks for wasting my time. Thoughts? Yeah, I had heard that she was going to be moved to Raw as a heel, and I had the same idea because all those vignettes that she did, my understanding is that that was all true, or at least based on true events in her life. And it's like the only way I could see a heel turn coming out of that working is if none of it was true and she was making it all up trying and, you know, and they find uh, audio or video of her supposedly off camera saying, you know, oh, well, ho- hopefully this will fool them or something like that. Then I could see it working because it would make her seem like a phony. But my understanding is all that was real. So how you can do all that and then turn around and try to make her heal, especially saying, oh, well, she wants you to show her the respect. A baby face would never do that. A baby face wouldn't demand everybody stand up. Exactly. You know, that, baby face, yeah. That's you why know. I said rut uh, the first time because. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, they, they you know, obviously it, were ready to pop for her and they did it, but. Because <laughs> uh, uh, another side of it, I remember saying this a few years ago is that um, a baby face should not have the word deserve in their vocabulary. A baby face doesn't think they deserve anything. They earn what they get. You know, I, I don't deserve respect. I, I will earn your respect. That's how a baby face is supposed to talk. So when you start throwing around deserve, it, it just kind of rolls my eyes. So it's just one of those things where it just comes across where at best it's, just left hand not knowing what the right's doing and at worst just just uh trying to be shocking for the sake of being shocking even though that might be illogical because after hearing all that stuff that happened to her you know it's 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 hard to boo her i mean i was saying when she was first showing up i mean you that you look at the backstory of this woman and they didn't need to create anything for her Oh, a, a woman that had that hard of an upbringing and was a Marine uh, and uh, that whole nine yards. I'm like, this woman's a natural baby face. Why are they pushing her as a heel? And they did the whole thing with Ric Flair, which uh, the less I can remember about that, the better. Uh, so it, it's just like, I don't get why WWE of all people should need, feel the need to change what is handed to them. And I know there's that saying that Vince McMahon could be handed a royal flush 
and he'd get upset because he didn't build the hand. You know, he wants to control what what gets out there. And but it's just like you have this golden opportunity to make a uh uh the best white meat baby face you could think of and it's like they don't know what to do with it and that's that's a shame so here i am thinking that that wwe has finally done what we've been asking them to do we've been asking them for for vignettes for to for them to give us a reason to get invested in a character for us to learn about a character to, to get their backstory to get why they're here to get why should we get invested in them they were doing it with Lacey, and and i got a little bit concerned that maybe perhaps they were overdoing it you know that the first week fine and then as each week got progressively you know kind of more i don't know got got deeper a little more nasty it's like how much how much are they going to pile on for this poor woman and then where does it become shoving it down our throats pretty much say okay like i we get it we you know we want to secure for her but she comes out and she gets popped and then like how can they fuck this up like only they can do that man they got exactly what they wanted and then completely blew it i i don't get i'm flabbergasted and the ironic thing is I didn't think I would be this passionate speaking about Lacey Evans, but this is the end of it because I'm done. They lost me. I, it's, I, I <laughs> flabbergasted is the right word because you need, you need baby faces on the SmackDown side of things to hold up the mid card now that Ron, mm, this is getting into the results, but now that Ronda's the champ, mm. You need baby faces to put up in the mid card, and because she's gonna have heel challengers, and now she's on Raw. Why? There's 13 women on Raw now. Oh, this is the same problem as we had last year: is that there weren't enough people on SmackDown for the women's division, and the cupboard is bare in NXT because they're all in AEW or Impact, or they've left. I <laughs> I don't know. Well, heck, heck uh, NXT was uh, a pretty much an all-women show, and it was one of their lowest ratings ever. <sighs> it's because people are tired of the TNA, and I don't mean the old promotion name. Can Can somebody out there please dial nine one and 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 get ready? Because Josh is either going to flip a table or he's going to have an aneurysm. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Well, I haven't even gotten to my second bait and switch rant yet. And Jarrett, you're going to be more uh, invested in this one because it involves the bloodline. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to put the Lacey Evans thing to one side. And I'm going to move on to my second rant. And then after I'm done ranting, I'm going to dial it down a bit. Because as Jarrett just said, I might not be able to take it. So I'm going to keep this a little shorter. And I'm only going over the details of the very first introduction of this storyline. And then I'm going to bullet point it for the rest. So there's this whole thing about unifying the tag team titles. The Raw tag team titles held by RK-Bro. And the SmackDown tag team titles held by the Usos. Now this is after WrestleMania when Roman unified the WWE and the Universal Championships by beating Brock Lesnar. 
So this was the SmackDown after WrestleMania, the same one where we got chapter one of Lacey's story. But they come in the ring for a promo. Roman Reigns brings up what's the next step for the tribal chief. He doesn't think he can really do much more. He's done it all, did it all. What else is there? But there's plenty left for the bloodline to achieve. Rain says there were so many historical pictures and videos taken of them this week and that he couldn't help but think that he saw his two titles, but he only saw his cousins with their one title apiece. Rain says that's not enough. He recalls how he told Jay a while ago that they'd elevate him to new levels of greatness, and there's only one way to do that. Rain says it's time to unify the tag team titles. Roman wants the Usos to go to Raw and bring him the Raw tag team titles. Get them for yourselves, because when you do that, you do it for the bloodline. Fine. Great. Perfect. Good promo. Sets sets up the story. Tells the reasoning. I'm invested. Let's make it happen. But then, on the April 11th Raw... The following show, they did a video recap of said promo on SmackDown. At the end of the show, the Usos come out and lay out the challenge, but before it could officially be accepted, it turns into an Usos versus Street Profits match. And nothing is resolved. Okay. Then we get to the April 15th SmackDown. RK Bro start the show with a promo. The Usos are invited out. Orton accepts the challenge, and the match is booked for WrestleMania Backlash, which at this point is three weeks out. April 18th, Raw. Video recap of SmackDown. And that's pretty much it. April 22nd, SmackDown. Riddle defeats Jey Uso. April 25th, Raw. The 20-year celebration of Randy Orton. And the Usos and RK-Bro team up with others in an eight-man tag team main event match. Nothing else. April 29th, SmackDown. They have the contract signing segment. But that ends in a brawl that brings out Roman and then Drew McIntyre. So then Heyman, in the same episode, is backstage with Adam Pearce after said brawl suggests making the match at WrestleMania Backlash a six-man tag team match because Roman is upset with Drew. So if he's upset with Drew, take it up with Drew and ask for a one-on-one match. Why are you making this match for the tag team titles? That was Roman's idea to unify the tag titles, a convoluted mess. Then we have the May 2nd Raw, which is the go-home show before WrestleMania Backlash. The Bloodline open the show. They receive a double RKO to the Usos. Drew runs out, and they have a big confrontation. Then on the May 6th episode of SmackDown, which is the go-home SmackDown episode, there are several backstage promos about how RK-Bro feels and how Drew feels and how the bloodline feels and all this ending in just one final confrontation. And then, of course, we have the match 
that meant nothing at the premium live event. So what kills me on this is that Roman, it was Roman's idea to unify the titles. And then it was Roman's idea in storyline to make the match quote unquote bigger. And then no titles were on the line. So you tied up three championships in one match. Not one of them was on the line, but that's not even the worst part of this whole thing. The worst part is, is post backlash. Randy Orton and Art and Riddle come out and say they want to unify the tag team titles still, and that they were going to head to SmackDown, which as we're recording, this is tomorrow. And they are going to challenge the Usos by asking Roman Reigns uh, if his cousins can defend the title. Putting how asinine that sounds off to the side. The worst part of all of this is there's a report out there that WWE have no intentions on unifying the titles ever. So this is another giant waste of my time. Why? Why are they doing this to me? They're making my head hurt more than it hurts making WWE PLE predictions. If you don't have the intent to unify the title, stop dragging out this storyline and for the love of God, give the bloodline something to chew on storyline-wise that's going to go somewhere. I've been watching NXT 2.0 for the past couple of weeks. Give me Sola Sokoa up on the main roster. Flesh out the story. Do something. But stop wasting my time. End rant. Remember how a couple of years ago when Daniel Bryan had that argument with The Miz and supposedly Vince McMahon got angry at it because it was teasing a match that he couldn't deliver on? Ah, boy, those are good times. Now here they are in storyline teasing a match that they didn't intend to give to fans. So my how times change. So, oh man, if the report is true that they have zero intention of unifying the the tag team titles. And this is complete and utter caca. And again, yes, Josh, why are they wasting our time on it if they have no intention of delivering on it? There's parts of this that I like. That the bit about Orton and, and Riddle coming to SmackDown and and quote, you know, asking Roman if it's okay. I like that because they're in in one motion they're slamming the Usos, right? So they're adding a little bit of fire to the match if and when it actually happens. And they're at the same time they're giving Roman the it's it's a it's a false respect, right? But it's it's at least they're they're um, acknowledging Roman, you know, if you will, that you know he's the man and he decides what happens with the bloodline, and that's kind of consistent with story. I, I don't mind that. But overall, if, if like, I don't know how they're going to get out of it, because Roman's like, like you said at the start, he's like, go get me the, the, the Raw Tag Team Championships. <sighs> you know, and now Orton and Rillick, oh, we, we want to unify the titles. Now, can this still happen? where a team wins and then they're just not called the undisputed 
tag team champions like they're just carrying both belts can that can that not still happen is that a is that a bait and switch on a bait and switch are we in bait and switch section is that possible don't make my head hurt any more than it already does <laughs> <sighs> that's like saying the you need to check the check engine light light or maybe for people that are into computers, you start using the term software program where that's a, you know, <laughs> what's the word? Uh, redundant. Software mm-hmm. is a program, a program of software. Yeah. Well, we, we, we could take that offline. I, I would, I would argue that a script can be a program, but it's not software, but <laughs> <laughs> we, we can debate that elsewhere. All right. So those are my two rants. I don't feel better because I know it's not going to get any better. But And to make matters worse for that last one, if Roman says no tomorrow night, it's going to make, it's not going to close the loop on how this all started because he was the one that asked for them in the first place. Oh, but Vince doesn't want us to remember that because that happened six weeks ago. Okay, moving on to the aforementioned premium live event known as WrestleMania Backlash. Going into this show, we only knew of six matches. During the show, they didn't add any. There's still only six matches, but the first match got almost 30 minutes. So then I started to see why we only had six matches, because I was confident, maybe, hoping that they were going to let some matches breathe a little bit. And sometimes, shorter card with longer matches is a good thing. And I'm going to tell you right now, I had low expectations for this PLE, and I said as much last week. But, as Seth mentioned, he was hoping that he was going to be pleasantly surprised by the wrestling. And I, (laughs) negative Nancy, was not convinced that even that was going to happen. However, I was pleasantly surprised. Because I got home earlier than I thought from Mother's Day festivities. And while folding laundry... I was able to put this pay-per-view on. Uh, Sorry, premium live event. And I was entertained for the most part. I liked it. I think I would give it a B to B plus. And that's surprising. But let's kick things off with the first match as they did. And Cody Rhodes defeated Seth Rollins. Yeah, they they kicked it off. Uh, I was a little surprised that they started with that match, but I've also said that I think arguably the first match is the second most important match in the card after the main event. And I also figured maybe they did that because they knew they could have enough time to do what they want and wouldn't have their time suddenly cut. And the, the, the spot where Rollins tossed Cody to the floor, I couldn't help but expect a commercial break since we've been getting more commercials on these PLEs or PPP, you know, paper peacock or whatever. 
both men teased pedigrees. Uh, Rollins got a bunch of near falls, couldn't get the pin. Uh, and what was it? I think Rhodes hit the crossroads, but Rollins got the, I think he got his foot in the ropes or something like that. Uh, but in the end, uh, Cody won. I mean, Rollins tried to pull the tights, but Cody reversed that. So it was a good for the goose, good for the gander moment, you might say. Uh, but it does seem like they're using that Cody using the tights in the same way Rollins did as a way to build to a third match. And I don't know if they'll do a Hell in a Cell match. I'm not sure. Whatever match they do, I'm I'm sure it'll be great. But they're getting to the point now where they either beat Seth again, and maybe they will, because Seth Rollins, I think, is at that level. He can lose a bunch of matches and still stay over, especially if he's going to have a, a babyface turn out of it. But they certainly shouldn't be beating Cody this early on, especially if they are going to put him on the burner to feud with Roman at some point. If he's going to be getting a shot at the title, Cody shouldn't be losing, period. You know, the, just just a full stop there, you might say. But if they do it again, at least the matches will be good, and I'll worry about that when it happens. But it was a I think overall the Mania match was probably better, but they they were both very good matches. I actually uh, was in the middle of Mother's Day festivities, and I actually missed the first two matches on this card and have not watched them since. But I've caught a couple of clips, and I read some results, and everything I have found said that this match was pretty much in the amazing category, so I better go watch it. Yeah, I I feel this was better than the Mania match because they could tell a different story where Seth was prepared this time around and he was countering Cody's signature moves at every turn and they were playing it up that at least, you know, this time around Seth was not caught by a surprise and he was ready and that made for a better storytelling and a better match, I felt. Um, Seth, to your point about Rollins losing for a third time, if they do that, I think Seth Rollins is Teflon at this point. It doesn't matter if he loses. He, he, his character work is so over the top with this current gimmick. I think he can withstand losses. I'm not saying he should lose 20 in a row, but, uh, at the same time, he could win Hell in a Cell because he's got the experience in Hell in a Cell and it would still be two to one Cody. So, uh, they could do either or. You could pretty much flip a coin at that point. So that was my gist and my take on that match. Second, Omos defeated Bobby Lashley with the help of MVP. Yeah, MVP constantly interfered. Uh, Omos did the Andre the Giant spot where he got his arms tied up into the ropes. Lashley hit a Uranagi-type slam. Uh, that, that was pretty impressive looking. Then prepared for a spear, but the 7'3 Omos was just too fast and sent Lashley into the turnbuckle where MVP hit Lashley with his cane. Omos finished off Lashley with a tree slam. I kind of figured they would give Omos the win because they had Lashley win the first time. Of course, I might have predicted Lashley, I'm trying to remember, because I know I had that thing of if you're going to have somebody go for the title, Vince usually has them beat a giant. But um, 
I don't know if they'll do a third match. I'm assuming they'll do a rubber match. I can't imagine it being uh, anything great to watch. I mean, this was okay, but I think it just went too long. And, I mean, Omas, I mean, he's impressive looking, but he's just so green that it's difficult to take him seriously at this point. But he's still a work in progress. Yeah, as previously mentioned, uh, I didn't see this one, but if I were around for it, this would be my go-make-a-sandwich, uh, top off the drink, go to the washroom kind of a match. But I'm, I'm glad I picked the right winner. That's all I can say. It wasn't that long. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of hoping they were going to give Bobby the win. That's why I predicted him to win. And I thought I was going to get lucky when he hooked in the uh, – Full Nelson, but it wasn't meant to be. So, fine. Whatever. Uh, singles match. Damian Priest barred from ringside. and <laughs> You might as well put ringside in quotes on that one. But Edge defeated AJ Styles with help from the newest member of the Judgment Day. Yeah, Edge beat AJ by a ref stoppage. I'd say this is as good as the opening match with Cody and, and Seth. Lots of near falls, finisher kickouts. Of course, Damien Priest was barred from ringside, so he just showed up anyway and even got into the ring. Somehow that was not a DQ or a forfeit or whatever. So there was no need to make that stipulation anyway. And the finish involved Rhea Ripley uh you know, with her face covered to, to be secretive, her, her interfering, and we were suspecting that she was going to join them anyway. And she's a good fit with that group. But it's just, it, it falls into that wrestling logic where Edge kicked out of a Styles Clash, if I recall correctly. So that means that AJ hit his finisher, and it wasn't until after edge kicks out that Rhea decides, okay, it's time to come in and interfere. Now, nobody's to my knowledge in WWE. I don't think anybody's kicked out of the styles clash before. Maybe there's somebody who hasn't missed it, but the point is, is he hit his finisher. He theoretically could have won the match there before the help even runs out to have the screwball finish. And that's just one of those things I don't understand in wrestling. And, WWE is certainly not alone in doing that. TNA did it all the time to the point where it was just, it, be, it, it became to be the obligatory main event run-in to, you know, to have Jeff Jarrett retain the title and all that. It's just, it eventually gets so insulting to the intelligence because it's like, okay, well, you're telling me that they figured that uh, the guy was going to kick out of the finisher of the babyface before even bothering to hit the ring for any DQ or interference or anything like that. And I get that it was to accentuate edge kicking out, but it just seems like an awful risk to wait until the villain kicks out of the finisher before finally coming in for interference. Other than that, I thought the match was good, but again, it just kind of gets chalked up to that wrestling logic where you try to think about it, with any real common sense and you start to question why they do it. Yeah. I'm kind of all over the map on this match. Like this, this was a really, really good match. 
from start till about three minutes left in the match. And and Seth, I get where you're coming from, and I'm really mixed about that that whole shenanigans at the end because you know you've got Edge down, he kicks out of the Styles Clash. You know, um, Priest is out there. They do the stupid thing. Oh, I'm on the ramp. I'm not at ringside. I can be here if I want. That was super cheap. But then they kind of have the the shenanigan redemption where, you know, AJ's going to go up top and try and hit a big forearm from the top. And that's where, when Rhea Ripley steps in to make the save and cost AJ the match. So they kind of did it really wrong. And then they did it kind of right. And, you know, and for part of this, I mean, I'm waiting for, for Rhea to come and get involved anyway. So, I mean, as good as this match was, you're kind of sitting there going, okay, well, when's Rhea coming out? When's Rhea coming out? When's Rhea coming out? And, you know, they delivered on that, which was really good. This is a super fun match. And uh, I love that they've got Rhea uh, on screen now with uh, this group. And I hope they can use that to actually do something meaningful with her. Yeah. You you can excuse the kicking out of the Styles Clash because they told the story the entire match of AJ's shoulder and arm not being right. And he couldn't use it 100% throughout the match. So... You can say that he didn't get all of the styles clash because he couldn't hold the edge in the right position. That's excusable. That's fine. Then he, the whole thing with Damien Priest, he comes out, he draws the imaginary line. I haven't crossed this threshold. And then all of a sudden Finn Balor comes down, which is extremely predictable. They brawl through the ring back outside of the ring. As Seth mentioned, apparently the ref had no problem with that. And then AJ decides that he's going to go on top and deliver the forearm from the top rope because he can't use his left arm to slingshot himself because it's not at 100%. Again, constant storytelling throughout the match. I like that. But then he gets shoved or yanked down on said injured arm from Rhea Ripley, which if you're going to do the whole hoodie jacket reveal thing at least wear pants that don't have your flipping logo on them everybody and their brother knew that was Rhea Ripley before she even did the reveal <laughs> yep um uh I'm digging the black hair love the new look that's all cool what I had a problem with was AJ quote-unquote passing out from the uh cross face that Edge had on because in my opinion, they sped that up a little too much. AJ went from wide-eyed struggling to he just closed his eyes and he was out and that was it. The match was over. There's no like fading or, you know, eyelids slowly closing. Just blink out. And I'm like, ah, that just took me out of it. I forgot about that. I was going to mention that. And, I was, and that bugged me too. Because, oh, God, I'm, I'm in the, okay, I'm out. Yeah, right? Just... <laughs> If you and Jared, you're gonna kill me on this, but if you want an example of good storytelling or, or good, um, a, a great instance, an example of slowly fading and passing out, go back to when Asuka beat Bailey in NXT for the women's championship, the Asuka lock, and Bailey slowly passed out from that, and that took a good like two minutes. I I refuse that on the grounds that Bailey can really do nothing good. So, yeah. well, it's a good Give thing Bailey. It's a good thing Bailey doesn't have the tribal chief gimmick. There'd be no acknowledging. 
Oh God. <laughs> I'd, I'd be done watching wrestling. <laughs> All right. Back on track. Um, yeah, Edge won this. Uh, I was the only one correct in saying so. We'll get to the prediction results at the end. Moving on, we had the SmackDown Women's Title I Quit match in a match that was way better than the promos leading into it, at least from Ronda's side. And just the entire build from Ronda's side, this match superseded anything I had expectations for. This was violent as all get out, physical. I enjoyed this immensely. And in the end, Ronda Rousey defeats Charlotte Flair to become the SmackDown Women's Champion. Yeah, right from the start, these two just kind of tore into each other. They didn't start with a lockup or anything like that. They just instantly just started beating the hell out of each other. Makes sense for the rivalry. Good story told with the match as well. And I know the finish and the injury angle with it. You know, I, I thought it was kind of funny how they mentioned that it was a broken radius, but at least uh, Pat McAfee, to his credit, explained what the radius is, that it was a uh, specific bone in the arm. Uh, but my understanding is that's to get Charlotte off the air for a little bit so she can go get married to Andrade. I don't know what they'll do when she comes back. But everything about this match was great. I certainly would not argue against this being called the match of the night. I could certainly see people calling it that. Not sure what's next for Ronda. Um, but uh, at least as far as a story told and how everything was laid out, I don't think they could have done it better. So def- definitely kudos to everybody. It was easily the best Ronda Rousey match since probably since her last go-round at WWE. It's the best match Charlotte has had, and Charlotte's had a, a lot of good matches. So, yeah, really nothing. I don't, I don't think there's anything I could uh, criticize about this match. What's next for Char- or, I mean, for Ronda? Oh, that's easy. Babyface Lacey Ev- uh, Oh, I mean, heel Lacey Ev- Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh is not going to give this up. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I like this. I liked it. Mo- I like most of it. I liked that it was intense. I liked that whenever you know R- Ronda got asked to quit, that she was like super defiant and she was like really aggressive about it. That was good. There was some nice chair work from Flair, you know, hitting natural selection on it, that kind of thing. But damn it, in an I quit match. It needs to get taken to the next level. And yeah, they did the Star Wars lightsaber kendo stick thing, and that was a little bit different. Because uh, normally someone just gets beat up with it, and, and that's it. Uh, they had the chairs. There were no tables. Jeez. Uh, and, and I in an I quit match, get creative in in making somebody want to say I quit. Like they're going to lose the championship over giving up. Right, and I would like to see you know some more implements perhaps being used, um, a little bit more innovative violence, shall we say? So it, it kind of fell short a little bit for me there, but but I will agree with what you said though. Sunday is probably one of Ronda's best matches in a while, uh, but I'm 
most happy that regards what happened throughout the whole thing is that we got to hear Charlotte Flair say, I quit, and she's no longer champ, and she's going to be off my TV for a little while. So the end result is Jared's a happy guy, so that's all that really matters. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you two sequences of this match that I really enjoyed. One was under the radar, and two was the finish. The first one that was under the radar was when Ronda grabbed the t- the dual kendo sticks away from Charlotte. She went into a pose and then started beating the holy hell out of her with both kendo sticks. That was based on the movie that she did. And you're, you're going to kill me for not remembering the video game, but it was based on whatever video game and the character that she was. That's how she has the experience to do that. And nobody said anything on commentary. And I'm like, ah, I get that you may not want to mention the movie, but at least reference it somehow. But anyway, that was a minor nitpick. But the finish I really enjoyed, except for the yeah. overuse of the word bitch. But um, the fact that Charlotte was going to try to end it with a chair and saying this is your last chance and then she says happy mother's day and then all of a sudden Rhonda reaches through and pulls her arm through the chair puts in the arm bar ref asks her do you quit she says no 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 and the ref goes up to Rhonda and says she said no she said no and Rhonda goes I was hoping you'd say that bitch and then cranks it more and then Charlotte I quit I quit and then the insinuation that she broke her arm so that was all good as Jared said this gets Charlotte off our TV thank God hey Andrade if you're listening keep her as long as as you can away from my TV. You're getting married in Mexico, honeymoon in Mexico, hell, perform at AAA. I don't care. Just, <laughs> I don't want her back by SummerSlam. That's not long enough. And the reason that uh, we didn't get maybe a table like the crowd was chanting for or more instruments of destruction is because we had to leave time for the next match. And the next match was Mad Cat Moss defeating Happy Corbin. I do think it's kind of funny that neither guy is happy nor Mad, Mad Cap anymore. So they're still using their names. Uh, this was kind of in the death spot that the uh, divas were normally in. So I, I think it was impossible, really, for anybody to care about this. I thought it was funny how they replayed the highlight of the Ronda Rousey-Charlotte match, even though we just saw the highlights that they showed a few minutes before. Maybe that's one of those things that they did for people that didn't that, that didn't have the uh, uh, commercial version, how it is there's different tiers of peacock where if you pay full price you don't get any commercials but wwe just throws a bunch of commercials in there on there and anyway maybe that was what that was for i just i couldn't help but notice they they did two separate segments just going through the highlights of ronda versus charlotte but it's low on the list to complain complain about but this match like i said nobody could have cared about it because it was in between the main event and the semi-main the finish was a freaking uh, sunset flip. 
I can't remember the last time I've seen that finish in a WWE match. I've seen it on non-WWE shows. And maybe they just wanted to put it over as like, okay, it was a flash pin that nobody saw coming. Something that maybe they're going to do another match uh, to come of it. I don't know. I mean, as far as in-ring stuff, it was fine. But I just don't care about either of these guys. So there really wasn't anything to get excited about. Yeah, I, I, I'm not so certain that nobody cared just because of the spot it was in. I think nobody cared because it was about Cat Moss and Happy Corbin. I, I, yeah, I didn't. I paid little to zero attention to this just to know when it was over. So I was ready to get psyched for the main and see Roman. Um, yeah, that's terrible. I was fine with the storytelling. I was fine with the result. It just went on for way too long. That's just my opinion. In the main event, not for the unified tag team titles. If only I had said something about that. Or, oh, the bloodline defeat RK bro and drew McIntyre, or as riddle would say, RK Mick bro. Yeah. This match had 19 minutes of entrances just before the main event began, which is pretty hilarious and, uh, you know, kind of maddening all at the same time. But once the match got started, I, I mean, it was really good. This was a high action main event. Everybody got their big spots in. Everybody looked good. The thing though, is the finish to the, to this main event, I think should have been obvious to anybody with half a brain because if they are going with Drew versus Roman, then Drew should have pinned Roman here. I mean, I know Roman hasn't been pinned in like almost two years now, and that's fine. And people are saying, oh, well, this is just a, a B-show tag match, so why would you waste a pin on Roman here? Well, first off, it wouldn't be wasting a pin if you're going to get a program out of it. That's exactly what you use pinning the champion for, is to get a program out of it. You could do it in a way that still protects Roman, like I talked about last week, where you find a way for Roman to essentially eat all three finishers, implying that it took all three guys hitting their finishers to pin the guy. There's lots of ways you could do that and not hurt Roman at all. And if they didn't want to pin Roman, well, then somebody else should have taken the pin. I mean, if they wanted to continue the tag champions versus tag champions, then you could have had one of the Usos pin Riddle or Orton or, or the other way around. No, it's because then you could keep that program going. I mean, maybe they're looking to pencil Cody into the spot of challenging Roman. Uh, I don't know, but with what we're getting with Roman, which I think one, if not both of us might have a little bit of a rant on that coming up. Uh, it's like by continuing to have Roman win and continuing to be the ones that's getting the pin, really what you do is you make it look like he has no credible challengers, which is boring. And I know some people will say, oh, well, Hulk Hogan always won. Yes, but Hulk Hogan was a babyface during this time. Roman is a heel. And so many times through most of the feuds, Hogan would either be left laying after an attack 
or he would lose a match by DQ or by countout. It was a formula that worked not only for Hulk Hogan, but it worked for guys like Bruno for uh, Vince Sr. You know, in the 70s. There, there were a lot of times where Hogan on the house shows would actually lose a match by countout or by DQ. You know, the, the heel would use a foreign object or something like that, and Hogan would come back with the foreign object, good for the goose, good for the gander type thing, and that's when the referee would see it. So Hogan would actually lose by using the same tactics that the heel was using. Those are ways you can put heat on a heel to challenge a babyface. In order to put heat on a heel to get challenged by a babyface, you have to make it look like the babyface can beat the heel champion. And in order to do that, you're going to have to have somebody pin the champion. So that, that's why Ric Flair would get pinned a lot in these tag matches by guys like Ricky Morton and such. It sets up the challenger. It makes the challenger look credible. It's one of the basic building blocks in Wrestling 101, or Booking 101, you might say. So I don't know why they did that, especially since if Roman is going away for a while, why you'd have him get the winning pin for his team. But we'll see. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I'm very cynical about this being the right finish. I think it was actually arguably the worst finish they could have come up with. Well, this is going to be fun. I loved absolutely everything about this match, and here's why. This match was like a mini Royal Rumble, way back when the Royal Rumble was actually done right. This match had storytelling within the match that set up future things down the road. So if you want to talk about kind of Drew getting one up on Roman, think of the the altercation they had uh, near the start of the match. Drew got one up on Roman on that one. Right, so I mean, they kind of fifty-fifty booked this, but I'm okay with that. Later on in the match, you know, Roman and Drew ended up outside, and, and Roman got that very rock bottom-esque looking urinati through the table. Right, Roman got one back on Drew. So now you've established that, you know, these guys are fighting each other. I didn't like that. You know, halfway through this build, you know, Drew got got uh, put opposite opposite Roman. So they were going to have like. All right, they showed up, they kind of threw each other down, whatever. We're going to have a weak build within pay per view time. So, kind of this whole tag title bait and switch, I mean, as, as awful as that was, it, it kind of worked in, in that, you know, it, it gave us some extra time to build Drew up uh, and have some storyline stuff happening against Roman. So, all this, this micro stuff that happened in the match between them is serving to build up later. The same stuff happened with, with the Usos and, and RK Bro. I mean, I liked how the match started off really slow, and I just kept picking up steam, picking up steam, get more intense as I went along. The big moves started coming out. And then really for the finish, I mean, Roman pinned a guy that he's never going to face one-on-one. Right? He spears Riddle for the win, and I'm totally cool with that. Roman is in that level right now where – you know, they even came in and said on TV not too long ago, he's, he's not been pinned or submitted, um, you know, since his return. I, I can't waste that on backlash, right? As, as much as we, you know, we want Drew to get one up, that can't happen at backlash. It's, you're not wasting Roman's first defeat in, in what, 720 whatever days they said it was, 10 days? On, on backlash. I, I, can't, I can't do that. So I'm, I'm totally cool with this. 
it sets up stuff uh, for down the road. It gives Drew and Roman um, some ammunition to lead into their build for the, for the next show. And it also elevates uh, what's going on between uh, the tag title happenings here. So I'm totally in. That was a, fantastic, a freaking fantastic match. I loved it. I'm kind of in the middle on this. I enjoyed the match. I thought it was very entertaining, very hard hitting. I don't mind the spots where people got to shine because you're supposed to do that in a main event, especially where there's no titles on the line. I like that there were RKOs for everybody. I liked, I think Riddle doing these RKOs are seeds being planted for when they eventually split. And I'm hoping this leads to Riddle turning on Randy. But I have a feeling knowing historically what happens is that Randy's going to be pissed that he stole the RKO, but whatever that's, that's future Josh's problem. That's future podcast episodes. We'll get into that. I liked Romans selling for big moves, especially for guys that aren't even on his brand. So I was entertained by that. The only thing I had a problem with, and it was only a problem for a short amount of time was I didn't pay attention as it was happening live. I just thought Roman leapt into the ring, hit the spear and then got the pin. I'm like, he's not even the legal guy. And then I saw the replay and I'm like, ah, the sneak tag. Okay. I'm okay with that. That's how the Iconics won the uh, women's tag team titles at mania uh, a few years back. So, you know, a lot of people were complaining, Oh, what happened to you have to tag the hand? Hey, blind tags on not, on body parts that aren't the hand have been happening for years. Get over it. So they showed the replay. He tagged the boot. I saw it. I'm like, okay, now it makes sense. Now it all squared away for me. So I don't have a rant on the whole world title thing. It's not a bother for me. I'm more concerned about the storytelling for the blood bloodline and if and how they're going to peel off a title to go back to Raw. To me, that's more of the pressing issue at this time. And now that we're post-backlash, maybe this gets touched on on tomorrow's SmackDown. Maybe not, but hopefully soon, or at least in some kind of build. Here's the other thing, now that I'm thinking of it. Jared, if you're saying that you don't want to waste Roman's next pinfall or submission loss, does that mean you're not in favor of, let's say, Drew challenges Roman, but only one title is on the line and Drew wins the title that was on the line, but Roman has to lose in order for that to happen, but yet he's still the universal champion. I'm assuming you're not in favor of that. I, I was actually thinking about that very thing today, and I don't, I don't know where I am on that because if they're not actually going to unify them into one real title, then that kind of has to happen at some point because you can't have people not challenging for 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 titles. Um, so the only way to get around that is to have him lose a belt. Um, I, I'm 
it, at the same time, I'm of the opinion that Roman should not lose until, you know, someone rises up to beat him. The, the problem with that is that it ties up both titles and I don't like that. So I've got myself booked into a conundrum here that I don't know how to get out of. Well, Seth would tell you that you just give one of the titles away. Yeah, but that's so lame. <laughs> that's what WWE does, damn it. Bait and switch, and we're lame. What? Let's, let's just Anytime you unify the titles, they just come up with another one afterwards. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's an answer, actually, is... Roman unifies them so they come up with a new title for Raw. I don't know. That might work. Yeah, I don't know what the patience level of of the USA Network is, but they better get to getting. All right. Well, before we drone on and on and on about that, let me get to the prediction results. At the end of the night, Jarrett came roaring back from a horrific start in the first half to sweeping the second half finishing four and two with nine points. I had a strong start, but fizzled out at the end because I got to common sense booking. And I also finished four and two, but I only had eight points. And Seth, he finished two and four for six points. So for the... Now, when I saw that, when I saw those uh, results for... Uh, Jared making his comeback. I'm like, he kicked out. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> so for the year to date through WrestleMania backlash, Jarrett is a, has a record of 37 and 14 for 125 points. Seth has a record of 33 and 18 for 103 points. And I have a record of 34 and 17 for 102 points. The next pay-per-view event is AEW's Double or Nothing and I will tell you right now that while normally world title matches both men and women are worth the most points for most predictions at five points I am going between the world title and the Royal Rumble winner because the Royal Rumble winner, if you get that right, that's 10 points. And that's pretty much how Jarrett's in the lead. But I am giving seven points for the winner of the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament. Winner for the men and seven points for the women. So there are 14 points up for grabs at Double or Nothing. So it's it's not that I've accurately predicted two-thirds of my matches this year that's that i got i got one lucky match right okay i, I get it I, <laughs> I see where you're playing i got you <laughs> sometimes you don't have to be better than everybody else sometimes everybody else just gotta get a little worse <laughs> all right final thoughts on backlash earlier rants or anything on your mind well, I think it does show again that WWE has moments where shows do not look that great on paper, but they turn out to be very good. Cause just maybe it's just the talent putting on their working boots. But this definitely, from an in-ring wrestling standpoint, 
was very much a good show. I mean, there really were no truly terribly bad matches. I mean, Lashley versus Omos, I mean, it certainly was not going to win match of the night or match of the week or anything like that, but it was about what we expected. And that was the worst thing on the show. Now, I already did my rant as far as booking decisions and stuff like that. But, I mean, as far as the effort everybody put in, this was definitely a very good show. And I, I agree, probably B, B-plus maybe overall. The part where WWE loses me as far as coming forward is what's going to go on with Roman. Because the rumor going around is that Roman is now going to be going on a schedule similar to what Brock Lesnar had been going on, where he's only going to wrestle a couple matches a year. And that's fine for him. You know, I, he certainly earned it and he's been groomed to be the top guy for many years and has been the top guy for two now at, at, at the very least, at least in the eyes of the fans, as well as where he's being presented. So he has earned that spot, but why would you put your undisputed title on the guy that's only going to be around for a couple of dates a month? We talk about this every time. I mean, when they did it with Brock, there was at least another champion around. You know, so Brock could go and they, they could still have another, whether it was the Universal Champion or the WWE Champion. Now, this is supposedly your undisputed, unified, whatever champion. And I can't help but think, like I've been saying for a couple of weeks, that they'll just decide to make another belt, whether it's the winged eagle belt being brought back or, or whatever. I think they may just find a reason for there to have another title out rather than have Roman get beaten for it. It seems to me if you're going to use Roman as the special attraction, then he doesn't need the belt. I saw a tweet by... David McKinney, you know, good friend of the show. He's been on the show several times, you know, South Atlanta wrestling, where he said, if you're going to do Roman versus The Rock, does that really need to be for the title? And I think it's a good argument to say that, no, it doesn't, because it's The Rock. Now, especially if The Rock is winning, do you really need to put your, your world title on The Rock since he's probably not going to be around for title defenses? And if Roman's winning... Again, does it even need to be for the title if it's Rock passing the, the torch to Roman? But either way, even if they're penciling Cody in to be the spot to beat Roman, either way, they're going to have their main champion off the show for weeks at a time. So that does concern me. I, I'm curious to see if the numbers will stay where they are or if numbers will go down with Roman not on the show since they spent so much time calling him an, a needle mover. If he's around, does that mean the needle will go down again? So, very interesting time to be looking at WWE. I didn't mean to get on another rant there, but I, I just I really don't get why they would put a title on a guy and then have him disappear. Is is Roman really disappearing though? I mean, I saw those rumors. I've also read reports where he's quitting immediately. I've also read reports where Roman is very much in all the long term plans for WWE. And what we're seeing is a reduced house show schedule, but he's going to be on all the TV events and, and premium live events. So, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, and, until I really know what's going on, I'm not, yeah, it, he's going to be champ for all. The, the, the whole rock thing, I, I still would never, ever believe. 
that Rock is going to be Roman. I, I can't believe that in, a, in no matter how many beers you give me or whatever it is, Rock has to beat him as, as the, to be the, the king of the, the family. And they, they have to establish someone, whether that's Cody finally winning his title or it's somebody else that they build up. That beating Roman has to be a moment, and they can't give that moment to someone like The Rock, who is never going to be around again. I, I just firmly believe that, and nothing else is going to happen. That I'm, I'm firmly convinced about that. But if we go back to the show, I mean, I, and I never saw the opening match, but from all reports, Cody and Seth was amazing. The Edge AJ Styles match was very good. Um, the Ronda Charlotte match was 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 pretty damn good. The main event was very very good. So four out of six matches. Um, really delivered on that show, and for for a show where it's just real, mostly rematches, uh, that's pretty damn good. Because I, I had pretty low expectations for this, but they were they were far surpassed. So I I might even be inching up to uh, to an A minus on this one. I'm going to close on two thoughts. The first thought is is I forgot to mention that after seeing all those kendo shots and then they zoomed in on Charlotte's torso. Holy crap. She took a beating. Did you see that red and purple? Well, right above her waistline. Yeah. Oh man. (laughs) That's, I think that's a receipt from 2018, 2019, whatever it was. Damn. Uh, The other thing is I could just imagine backstage with, Roman and Paul creatively taking this storyline where it's been, where it is, where it's going. And then at the, whatever time Paul goes to Vince. So where, where's the baby face that's supposed to uh, take out Roman? The what? The baby face that you've been concurrently building up and, and go, I was, I was supposed to do what pal? You mean you don't have a baby face ready to beat Roman? Nah, we're going to have Hornswoggle beat him, and it's going to be such good shit. Oh, so good. And on that note, we're going to end this show before it gets on to some other path that we're not going to be able to get off of. So once again, thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to the Wrestling Brethren Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast fix to hear the latest discussion from the Wrestling Brethren. You can visit us at TWBpodcast.com for posts and episodes. Visit the mothership, if you will, at BehindTheSquaredCircle.com, home of the Behind the Squared Circle Podcast Network. Let us know your thoughts, questions, and comments at Twitter at TWBP Show, on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Behind the Squared Circle, and on Instagram at The Wrestling Brethren. You can follow Jared on Twitter at The Bacon Rev, and you can follow Josh at Southpaw Josh. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you again soon with more from The Wrestling Brethren.